I think people understand that government plays an important role in protecting people and holding companies accountable for the products they make. Consumers in the EU have been more hip and savvy to this sooner compared to the United States. And I think we all know that consumer power not only drives the industry, but also is an important piece for constituents to actually call their elected officials to ask them to take action. Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dachis-Marmet. We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hello, and welcome to episode 85 of the Art of Living Well podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, we have a couple of brief announcements. The first is that we are co-hosting a yoga and clean crafted wine event that will happen the day after this episode drops, and there are still a couple of spots left. We are super excited to be co-hosting this Backyard Bash, as we're calling it, with the wonderful Ashley Sondergaard, who hosts the Yoga Magic podcast. Ashley was a guest on our podcast several months ago, and we were on hers as well, and we are just thrilled for this collaboration. We're calling it a Backyard Bash because it will incorporate a cosmically inspired yoga flow class with a clean crafted wine tasting and some awesome giveaways. The outdoor class will start with a brief overview of the astrological happenings in the sky and then we'll harness that astro energy into an invigorating yoga class and we'll finish with a brief meditation to find gratitude. All yoga levels are welcome, and if you live in the Minneapolis or Twin Cities area, we would love to see you for this um, in-person community building event. Space is limited, so if you're able to make it, just head on over to our show notes or our Instagram profile and click the link to sign up today. And then second, we just want to ask that if you are enjoying this podcast, if you could please take just two minutes to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast. It really helps us reach more people so that others around the world can benefit from the inspiring conversations and resources that we share each week. And of course, if you're enjoying this episode, we'd love it for you to share it with a family, friend, or anyone who you think may benefit from this information. We are extremely honored and excited to welcome today's guest, Lindsay Dahl who leads the safety, sustainability, advocacy, and giving teams at Beauty Connor as their SVP of social mission. A nationally recognized leader, Lindsay has been working for over 15 years to remove toxic chemicals from the products we use every day. Working at the intersection of activism, product safety, and sustainability, Lindsay takes a comprehensive approach to integrating social impact into everything at Beauty Connor. Prior to joining Beauty Counter's team, Lindsay spearheaded the passage of more than a dozen healthcare protective laws at the state and federal levels, including the nation's first ban on the toxic chemical BPA from baby bottles and other landmark laws on chemicals like flame retardant, mercury, and phthalates. In addition, Lindsay created a nationally acclaimed program, 
Mind the Store, to encourage top retailers to remove toxic chemicals from their products. This initiative led to comprehensive health protective policy from Fortune 500 companies such as Target, Walmart, CVS, The Home Depot, and Best Buy. In addition to working for Beauty Counter, Lindsay is an activist and writer who isn't satisfied with the status quo. She enjoys spending time writing on topics that are near and dear to her heart, including environmental wins, science-based consumer safety guides, safer beauty products, hot yoga tips, how to find safer products for your home, clean living, and stories about people being agents of change. This conversation is packed with so much insight around all things clean beauty and personal care products, as well as Beauty Counter's substantial role in the clean beauty movement. You'll learn about the evolution of the government's role with the ingredients that companies use in their products and the differences between regulation in the United States versus other countries like Europe and Canada, and Beauty Counter's very high level of standards in all of their products. You'll also learn how transparent Beauty Counter is about the ingredients they use and why. Lindsay is extremely knowledgeable and shares the science-backed research that may surprise you about certain ingredients that are in everyday products you may be putting on your skin. Lindsay shares Beauty Counter's mission to educate the everyday consumer about how they can find safer products in addition to advocating for safer laws to protect everyone from harmful chemicals. We know this topic can be overwhelming, and today's conversation with Lindsay will really help you break down the confusion that exists about the clean beauty movement and what sets Beauty Counter apart from most other companies, including their activism role in Washington and their focus on sustainability. Lindsay also shares her top tips on how you can begin to make small changes to clean up the products that you and your family use every day, as well as some of the tools and resources that you can access to start making changes right now. But first, a quick word from our new sponsor, The Healthy Place, an online and brick and mortar supplement store based in Wisconsin. We know how overwhelming and confusing shopping for vitamins and supplements can be, and many people start taking supplements without understanding what their body needs. It is so important to ensure that the supplements you're taking are high quality, free of common allergens, GMOs, and third-party tested, so you know that what you are putting in your body is actually what it states on the bottle. We recently sat down and chatted with the founder of The Healthy Place, Tim O'Brien, whose mission as a company is to impact, empower, and educate every customer to learn, grow, and create a lifelong foundation of health and wellness. Both Tim and his wife and co-owner, Becky, strive to inspire their customers to make healthy changes that will impact every area of their life, and we couldn't agree more with their values. One of the things that sets the Healthy Place apart from the other places that you can buy supplements from is their team of wellness consultants who are ready to help you find the highest quality product. They won't just find you a product for what you believe you may need, they ask questions to understand the underlying condition that you're trying to address, and they really guide and educate you on your journey to find wellness. And now they have an online chat feature that duplicates the level of service that you get from their in-person store, allowing you to receive personalized service from the comfort of your home. Some common ailments they love helping customers address include chronic pain, stress, anxiety, sleep issues, and even energy and immunity. 
We were so impressed with their genuine desire to help educate and motivate their customers to get to the root of their issue and address it in a very holistic way. Another benefit we love about findyourhealthyplace.com is that they carry many different vetted brands so that you are not stuck with one brand or product to try. So head on over to findyourhealthyplace.com and chat with an online wellness consultant. You can use code LIVINGWELL for 30% off the full price of your supplement purchase. And with that, let's dive into this powerful, insightful, and motivational conversation with Lindsay Dahl. Hi, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Art of Living Well podcast today. We're so grateful for your time, and we cannot wait to share your infinite passion and knowledge about clean living and the environment and activism with our listeners today. And we love that you're from Minnesota, and we were connected through a friend of mine who is also my executive director with Beauty Counter. And Marnie and I are both Beauty Counter consultants and have just been a huge fan of the products for many years. And so it's a real honor to have you on our show today. So everyone has a story and we would love for you to share your journey from leading advocacy work in Minnesota to then moving to Washington, DC, and then your current role as the Senior Vice President of Social Mission for Beauty Counter. And we'd also love for you to touch on just what sparked the fire to become an activist and something you refer to yourself on your website as a professional agitator, which I love. Um, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me and for telling our story at Beauty Counter and my story personally. Um, yeah, so you mentioned I'm from Minnesota and I really kind of cut my teeth on this whole activism trains that I never really anticipated jumping on. And that's not to imply that when I was young, I didn't care about these issues because I've always been very passionate about protecting people's health and the environment. But I always hated politics. I was like, ugh, it's like a bunch of people fighting. It's super, I don't know, it just felt like theater to me. And um, I was like, I don't want anything to do with that. But through the course of my career, you know, I really started working in Minnesota where I'm from. I, I took a job at that phase in my career right out of college when you have no experience, but you really want to have a job. And I was working on renewable energy and um, trying to reduce the impacts of climate change. And I was working for Fresh Energy, which is a nonprofit based in the Twin Cities. And I learned through that internship that when you pass a law, you can have a tremendous amount of impact. And I thought, you know what? I can talk to all my friends about changing their light bulbs to help reduce our footprint, or I can help pass a law that's going to make the coal companies do something about it. And to me, I was like, okay, well, if politics is messy, maybe I can handle and stomach dealing with politics if the result is for the greater good. And so I was lucky enough to be a part of some winning campaigns very early in my career in the Minnesota legislature. And I then transitioned from working from climate change to consumer safety and specifically working in the field of environmental health, where we're responding to several decades worth of peer-reviewed research that shows that chemicals that are in our built environments or in our homes are leaching out of our products and sometimes into our bodies. And not all chemicals are bad, of course, but some of them are. And I helped lead several pieces of legislation in the Minnesota legislature passing, including the first ban on BPA in the country from baby bottles and sippy cups. And from there, I moved to Washington, D.C., where I worked with my former boss to start the nation's largest coalition called Safer Chemicals Healthy Families, bringing together lots of nonprofits and businesses to help pass federal reform and make sure that toxic chemicals were regulated before they went into our consumer products. And um, I can talk more about my experience in DC if you want, but then I transitioned 
around, a little around seven years ago to Los Angeles to spearhead our advocacy, safety, and sustainability work for a beauty counter, um, the leading clean beauty company in the marketplace. So that's the, that's the short version, but I'm happy to dive into any of those specifics a little bit more if you're interested. How did you decide to transition from working in DC to going to work for beauty counter in that like it's a little bit different, right? So how did you decide to make that transition? Uh, it was a hard transition for me and it was a hard decision to make because I had spent, you know, over a decade in the public uh, sector, specifically in the nonprofit world. And I liked, I liked the kind of neutral position of nonprofits that we were responding to the science. We were the do-gooders, you know, the, I just felt like there was a lot of integrity in the work that we were doing. And so I was hesitant to work for a brand because I felt like I don't want a brand to just use this as a marketing tool. And then I sat down with Beauty Center mm-hmm. CEO, Greg Renfrew, who's a woman. And she said, you know what, like the world doesn't need another beauty brand, but what they need is a movement for change. And we need beauty brands to be asking harder questions. And sure, Beauty Center can make products for absolutely everyone. Uh, but that's not really going to fix the problem. What's going to fix the problem is updating our federal laws, which haven't been updated since 1938 in any sort of major way. And I thought, well, for someone who doesn't know much about advocacy, she's pretty enlightened. And knowing that the CEO was bought into the advocacy work, it gave me the assurance that this was a risk worth taking. But at the end of the day, no one knew who Beauty Counter was. The company was just a year old, was still really in startup phase. And so it was a risk but it was a risk worth taking um, because Greg continues to be that enlightened leader that I talked to seven years ago. And she's never wavered on her dedication personally or contributing the company's resources through my time to lobby for change. Which is honestly one of the things I love about Beauty Counter. You're not just buying a product, like you said, you're buying a movement and the education piece that goes along Mm -hmm. with it. So I think that's awesome. It sounds like such a good combination of your skills and experience with this broader, this broader movement for everyone. I was just going to say, I'm wondering if we can dive in a little bit and explain why people should care about the ingredients that are in the products that they put on their skin. So there's nearly four decades worth of science that looks at chemicals that are in our consumer products. And the science is showing us, again, this is credible science from the top researchers published in peer-reviewed journals. The science shows us that there are many ingredients used in the beauty and personal care industry that have questionable links to health outcomes. So that may be cancer, hormone disruption, um, they may be allergenic for people with sensitive skin, et cetera. And if the science is showing us time and time again that these certain ingredients have questionable health, health impacts, for us, the question is, how do we make products that are safer? And, um, you know, I mentioned before, but the last time Congress passed a major law overseeing the beauty and personal care industry was in 1938. And so what that effectively means is that this isn't the FDA's fault, but the FDA has no power to be able to, for example, recall a product on the market that has known health outcomes, which has happened when there was high levels of formaldehyde and a hair straightening treatment. The FDA couldn't do anything about it. There have been shampoos that have been treatment shampoos that have contributed to thousands of people losing their hair and going bald permanently. The FDA has been petitioned. They couldn't do anything about it. And like Likewise, the FDA can't say this ingredient is safe or this ingredient is unsafe as other federal agencies can. And the reason they can't do any of those things is because Congress, Congress hasn't passed a law saying 
they have the ability to do so. So at the end of the day, we've got two problems. We've got an emerging field of research that's saying companies need to choose safer ingredients. Many companies are not. And we've got a problem that has to do with our regulatory system, which there's this huge oversight and loophole in our beauty and personal care laws. And both of them need to be fixed. So companies need to do the right thing and Congress needs to act. So I know, I mean, I wanna, we're going to dive into all that with respect to what Beauty Counter is doing too. Can you get into some of the specific ingredients? I mean, Marnie and I are pretty well versed on a lot of this, but we know a lot of people out there, you know, are not, right? And so they don't necessarily understand high level. They may, yes, some of them could be carcinogenic, but oh yeah, that's just, you know, we're just putting it on our skin. Why does that matter? You know, maybe even talk about some of the ingredients specifically that are in the products that especially women use on a daily basis and how they're hormone disruptors or just maybe breaking that down a little bit further for people? So there are a few examples of some of these ingredients include either formaldehyde or formaldehyde releasing preservatives. So what that means is that they're uh, formaldehyde won't uh, appear on the ingredient list, but they're designed in the product to create formaldehyde, which then kills microbial growth. We need to preserve products. I'm not saying that people should look for preservative-free products um, because we don't want to have mold, yeast, or bacteria in our products. However, I think it's all safe to say that um, we shouldn't use a known human carcinogen in the personal care products we put on our bodies every single day. Uh, another example would be the class of ingredients called phthalates. So there are lots of different phthalates, but they are used to bind perfume to your clothing or skin. Um, they're even used in um, pesticide application, which is outside of beauty and personal care. But the class of phthalates has been shown across the entire class of chemicals to disrupt our hormone system. So our hormones are, decided, are um, designed to work at really low levels. And so when we've got these synthetic hormones that are disrupting the signaling, it can create a host of problems within our bodies. And then you've got other ingredients that aren't going to appear on the ingredient list, and those would be heavy metals and color cosmetics. So anything that has color, especially those that are naturally derived, is at risk for contamination of heavy metals. And those heavy metals um, tag along with the colorant that makes your blush beautiful or your lips bright red. And um, so that's also of concern. And a lot of companies aren't looking for heavy metals. Beauty counter screens every batch of color cosmetics before they come to the market. Um, knowing that it's impossible to be heavy metal free, but we want to do the due diligence to make sure we're controlling those contaminants as much as we possibly can. Well, and I also think it's so confusing because like, if you're looking at beauty products, you know, you see organic, you see natural, but then when you actually look at the ingredients on some products, they may still contain, you know, the phthalates or some of these ingredients I think that you're talking about. And what recommendation would you have for consumers to feel good about, you know, being educated to, you know, be able to pick the products that they want? I mean, it's really challenging right now. The burden is on the consumer, which is part of the reason we need our government leaders to act. So it's not on us to try to navigate this really complex marketplace. But I think there's a couple of things. So you're right. The term organic, green, clean, non-toxic, none of those terms are are uh, regulated. And so it's up to companies to define what that means to them. The thing I'm really proud of the work that we've done at Beauty Counter is we have clearly identified what clean means to us in a very comprehensive way on our website. It's called our Blueprint for Clean. It's 12 different areas of how we define clean. It's everything from how we test our ingredients, how we screen them, responsible sourcing practices, packaging, preservatives, et cetera. 
but most companies aren't doing that. So I think there's a, a tool out there called Environmental Working Group Skin Deep Database. It's not a perfect tool, but it's definitely an initial tool that consumers can start to get a sense of where a product ranks or if there are questionable ingredients in that product. And the other thing is, I think it's just important for us to continue to ask hard questions of companies. Uh, if Beauty Counter is not the right brand for you, we also have lots of friends in the clean beauty space that are part of our Counteract Coalition. So on our website, we also feature other clean beauty brands that we care about and think are doing good work. Which I love. It, it just gets to the heart of the company and what your mission is. Yeah, I know you mentioned, I think you mentioned the Never List, which I think is a big one for Beauty Counter, but how, can you talk about the differences between the, some of the regulations in Europe and how they differ from the US and then drawing in the Never List? So the Never List is a list of over 1800 ingredients that Beauty Counter has banned from our product formulations. And we have pulled that list together by looking at all the international laws uh, out there, pulling all those lists together. And then we've added more ingredients that we've screened ourselves that have questionable health impacts that we've added to the Never List. Uh, so in the United States, the original law that was passed in 1938 that I mentioned only banned 11 ingredients. Uh, over the years, the FDA has restricted some ingredients in maybe soaps or hand sanitizers, for example. And so the list is up to about 30 of banned or restricted ingredients in the United States and in the European Union, it's over uh, 1,400. And so you can see that there's a big difference between which um, kind of the proactive approach that the European Union has taken. You know, I've always said that the EU's framework is not perfect. So when we're advocating for change in Washington, DC, we're actually not saying, let's just do what the European Union is doing. Um, but I think it's an important point for people to understand we are behind international markets. Canada is much farther ahead of us. Their hot list is 600 ingredients. There's still work to be done in Canada to make that regulation stronger and more enforceable. But at the end of the day, the United States is grossly um, behind other countries, including China, who's banned a lot more ingredients in their products as well. Why do you think that is? You know, I think a couple of things. I think the regulatory oversight and the kind of temperature for regulation is higher in the European Union. I think people understand that government plays an important role in protecting people and holding companies accountable for the products they make. Uh, consumers in the EU have been more hip and savvy to this sooner compared to the United States. And I think we all know that consumer power not only drives the industry, but also is an important piece for constituents to actually call their elected officials to ask them to take action. And so they, they're, they've just been ahead of us both on food and personal care in asking of their leaders, whether those are in business or in government to take action. So we're now in that place where things are happening in the United States and it's our opportunity to seize this moment. Yes. So can you share some of the recent wins within the industry and specifically like Beauty Counter's role? Because I know you've had some there have been some big wins in this regard in Washington and in California, I believe. Yeah, so Beauty Counter has helped pass nine pieces of legislation in the past eight or so years, which is really exciting. I think, you know, some of those laws were at the state level, like in California. Um, we've got one that's on the governor's desk in the state of Maryland right now. Uh, and the laws that we've helped pass range from banning certain ingredients from sunscreens, like we did in Hawaii, to help protect the coral reefs or create more transparency around ingredients for salon professionals who are using professional salon products that prior to 
that law being passed really has zero insight into the toxic ingredients they were personally exposed to every day. So they go to their doctor and say, I'm really sick. I, I work in a salon and they'd say, oh, well, what do you, what have you been exposed to? And they would say, I can't tell you because I don't know. Uh, so things around consumer and worker transparency. And we've also helped pass federal pieces of legislation in the United States, including um, last year, we helped pass the Sustainable Chemistry Research and Development Act, which is going to help bring safer alternatives to some of those toxic ingredients to market faster. So uh, what we're really working on, though, is updating that 1938 legislation that would allow the FDA to be able to recall harmful products and also be able to say which ingredients are, are safe and which ones are not. That's amazing. You know, I, I know that Beauty Counter is doing wonderful work in this area, but I wish more of the world knew that because I think it's fantastic and we should all care about this work. It's so important. Well, it's, it's also voting with your dollar too. You know, like we make choices every day and as consumers, we're the ones that are going to drive this change ultimately. Just no different than the food choices that we make as well. And that, you know, has been slow, but making progress. And so I think this is just sort of the next phase, right? After you focus on what you put in your body, you start to focus on what you put on your skin every single day. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And you guys are helping by getting the word out there by sharing these stories on your podcast, which I'm excited about. Yeah. And I know you wrote this fantastic blog recently about how we can responsibly talk about toxic chemicals. And we just thought, Marnie and I thought it was super informative, but it was also very easy because sometimes you start talking and you lose people, right? If this is not something that they're necessarily passionate about at this point. Can you share some of those highlights of the post? Because I we just thought it was like, I, I think sometimes you start talking chemicals and banning and this is bad and that's good. And I, I think you can lose people kind of quickly. You know, it's funny in the beginning of that post, I said, <laughs> talking about toxic chemicals isn't something that makes you popular at a party, uh, which is true because it's a bit of a, a heavy right. subject. <laughs> yes. But, you know, I think there's a way, the science is really nuanced. And I think it's important for everyday people that are not trained scientists, including myself, to be good stewards of that science, because what happens is if you get into a place of fear mongering, you both turn people off, but it also does a disservice and discredits the entire body of science. And so, yeah, I think there's a few examples. Like, I think it's really important for people to say things like this ingredient is linked to cancer. It's not going to cause cancer. So I would never say your shampoo is going to give you cancer. But what I would say is there are ingredients commonly used in shampoo that have been shown time and time again in peer-reviewed research to be linked to cancer. If we have an opportunity to make shampoo without that ingredient, shouldn't we? I think the answer is yes. So that's, it takes more time to to say that, but I would rather take the time and be a responsible steward of the science. Another example would be things where people are like, you don't want, you want preservative-free products or you don't want all preservatives are toxic. And it's like, well, no, preservatives are really necessary because guess what else is toxic? Putting gross moldy cleanser on your face. Like I've, I've opened old stuff where I'm like, ooh, I don't want to use that. But we can use preservatives that are less toxic, that have a less hazardous profile, but still protect the integrity of the product and therefore you. So I just think it requires more explaining and it requires a kind of gut check for all of us to be mindful about how we speak about this issue. I think people that are really passionate about it, there's so much good press on this topic. Let those press stories where they're trained journalists who have talked to scientists and have it edited, let them do the storytelling for you or brands like Beauty Counter that are science-based. We have a lot of good content share that 
versus trying to be the person that knows and owns all of this information. Because I think it just lends more credibility and it's going to make sure that you can still get people involved and excited about this without having to be fearful or unsure every time you post on social media. Well, and I I love that you say, you know, this ingredient is linked to, because I do hear a lot of people saying, oh, that's going to cause cancer. And it's like, really? Is that really going to cause you cancer? Do you know that? I think it's just, it makes a lot more sense the way that you're presenting it. And it seems a lot more, I guess, believable as well. Yeah. Well, and also I think, you know, a scientist explained to me how cancer is like, imagine the pie and there's all these slices of the pie. And one slice is your genetics. And another slice of that pie is where you live and the air you breathe. Another slice of that is what your exposures may or may not be through the products in your home. And all those things, diet, nutrition, stress are contributing factors to something like cancer. The idea is not to say you can be cancer free if you do X, Y, and Z, but rather if we have the opportunity to control one thing, which we can control, I can't control the air I breathe outside, but I can control what products I put on my body. And I just think that's reflective of the science and it's a more responsible way to talk about why personal exposures are important. There's something we can do, but we can't try to tackle the whole pie. Absolutely. It's like, just take the little nibbles that you can, right? (laughs) So what is Beauty Counter and other companies that you've partnered with doing in the industry to ensure the transparency of the ingredients in the products? So Beauty Counter, since we launched in 2013, has fully disclosed all ingredients used in our products. That sounds like that would be industry standard. It is not. Uh, That's particularly true with fragrances. So there's um, what's called the fragrance loophole, where the ingredients used in fragrances are allowed to be kept trade secret. So that's why if you're familiar with looking at ingredient lists, you may see the word fragrance or parfum. Unfortunately, a lot of allergens and hormone disrupting chemicals like phthalates are found commonly in fragrance blends. So we've been really dedicated to say, we're going to tell you all of the ingredients in our fragrances and list them on our website for all to see. And I think, you know, that's catching on in the industry, which is great. We need more transparency. We need companies that are willing to go that extra mile and um, perhaps most importantly, work with our fragrance suppliers to get them to be uh, more transparent. Cause I think that's where the kind of a lot of the pushback comes from. So I see a tremendous amount of momentum in this space and the more consumers demand transparency, the more it's happening. I was just going to say, and what about sustainability and sourcing? I'd love to hear more about that also. Yeah. So clean to beauty counter is not just banning ingredients. It's uh, it's so much more than that because that just tells you what's out of a product. What we want to know is what's in it, why it's safe and why it's been responsibly sourced. So there are a lot of very safe ingredients that are used by conventional and clean beauty brands alike. A great example of that is mica. Uh, You basically can't create color cosmetics without using mica. It not only is the base of a lot of powders, but it, it gives the shimmer as well for a lot of lip glosses and eyeshadows. And unfortunately, it well, fortunately, it's a super safe ingredient. Unfortunately, it has um, unsafe work conditions for the people who are mining mica, predominantly in India, although it is sourced around the world. And upon learning about this, Beauty Counter did a pretty thorough assessment of the marketplace. And it really felt like no one was tackling the issues of child labor in the mica supply chain in a meaningful way. And so this is a good example of our responsible sourcing program where we take really deep dives and we 
We're the first beauty brand to have physically visited every mine where our mica is being sourced. We did that, completed that last year, and we've got a lot more work to do, but to work with suppliers, but we dropped a lot of suppliers along the way. And it's important to us that products are not only safe for all of us when we use them in the morning, when we get ready to go out for our days or head to work, they should also be safe for the people who are bringing those, us those raw materials. So responsible sourcing is really near and dear to our hearts. We also carefully select packaging. So sustainable packaging is one of the biggest challenges we have as a brand because there are limited options that still allow our products to be affordable. However, we're making tremendous strides. By 2025, we have a really ambitious goal to have 100% of our packaging be sustainable um, in some way. And so we are marching towards that goal. And that means we're introducing more refillable um, components into our line. We've got a refillable deodorant, which is amazing. If you haven't tried it, it actually works. Uh, we've got a shift away from certain plastics to more glass, which is more widely recycled, introducing post-consumer recycled plastics, et cetera. So um, kind of all those things in one package is really what makes the kind of special and it helps define what we mean by clean. You, you just uncovered so much. I want to go back to that mica because I want to, we'll link up to the show notes. There's a seven minute, maybe five, seven minute documentary that you guys put together. If you, if you don't appreciate what Lindsay just said, you know, with some of the child labor issues with the sourcing of mica, watching this video will just really, it's an eye opener, right? I had no idea. I had no idea. And I think when you first start talking clean beauty, you're just focused on the impact to me or my family, but then you dive into the sourcing. I mean, you guys start from like the very basics, you know, the raw material all the way up through the post-consumer packaging, which I think is tremendous. You know, I don't know how many other companies are doing that necessarily, but you guys are certainly leading the charge in that regard. So we'll link that up a bit and we will link that up in the show notes so that everyone can go out there and take a quick watch. Oh, and I think just all the the innovation with recycling of the bottles and the packaging, but the deodorant is amazing. I, mean, I haven't seen another company do a refillable deodorant before. If you think about how much, you know, waste that is, right? So I think that's just amazing. So, and I love the deodorant. I have the deodorant. I bought it for both my daughters and it really is the first like clean or however you want to call it deodorant that yeah. I really like. Cause I've tried it gazillion of them and it smells good. <laughs> it works. What's your favorite scent? I think, is there a, co- I think I have coconut. It reminds me of a vacation. Yeah. That's my coconut's my favorite. I think they're so good. Yeah. All of them are really good. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I was thrilled when that deodorant came out. It was a long time coming, but I was very excited too. And I've had so many people tell me I can't use natural deodorants and then they use the beauty counter one and they they love it. So kudos to you guys. So I know that the, you know, demand for cleaner beauty is on the rise right now. And there are lots of brands and products out there claiming to be clean and natural. And I know we kind of mentioned that earlier on in the show, but you know, how are you defining clean and how are like how does beauty counter define clean and stand out from some of these other brands that are claiming to be clean but maybe they're not i think so to start beauty counter has always felt like clean to us is more than just banning ingredients so the never list is important but it's really just the first step of our product development process and um clean to us is about how we screen those ingredients for safety before they end up in our products and we do so We've got eight scientists on staff. We have them screen 
ingredients for safety, including 23 different health and environmental endpoints using all the best literature. And then we test products where we need to. Like I mentioned, all of our color products, every single batch of every color product is tested for a suite of heavy metals before going to the marketplace. And so for clean, clean to us is really a safety program that is best in class. And I do believe we have the best in class safety program on the market. As we just talked about, responsible sourcing and sustainable packaging are also very critical to our definition of clean. Uh, and I think the thing that really, I think what I want to say is that there are a lot of clean brands out there that are actually clean and that's good because we want the future of the beauty industry to be where everything is clean. So we're not threatened by that. We've got lots of friends. There's plenty of space for all of our companies to thrive. Yes, there are people that are greenwashing, um, but let environmental working groups websites help you decide if that's if they're greenwashing or not and I want everyone to support as many clean beauty brands as they possibly can the thing that I think really sets beauty counter apart from even our clean competitors is our advocacy work we have been dedicated to nonpartisan advocacy since we started we are the leading company on Capitol Hill conventional and otherwise every single day asking for leadership. Our CEO has testified before the House of Representatives and we've mobilized both our clients and our network of 65,000 independent consultants to be agents of change. And you know, we've even started a coalition called the Counteract Coalition of our clean beauty friends to help them have more of a, a voice in Washington, knowing that they don't have the resources to invest in the infrastructure that we have here at Beauty Counter through our staff. But I think our advocacy work is fixing the actual root of the problem. It gets to the accessibility of clean beauty, which right now not all clean beauty is accessible to everyone, either because they don't know about us, they don't, they can't afford our products, et cetera. And we're really putting our money where our mouth is when it comes to our advocacy work, because we do want, whether you're buying a drugstore brand or a premium beauty product, we think they all should be safe. So I think that's both what we mean by clean, but also what is different about our brand. But again, I, I hope one day that I can say, oh my gosh, every brand is super active advocating for our health on Capitol Hill. So the things that make us different and unique right now, I hope become, I hope people copy us is what I'm trying to say. And that's amazing. I mean, truly it's, it's wonderful what everybody at Beauty Counter is doing. I mean, the work is so incredibly important. It's important. And I love what you say. You're you know, you have much of a, more of a collaborative approach because you realize that you can do more and you can, you know, you can have more wins if you come together versus, you know, trying to be competitive. And Lindsay, I'm sure you know the numbers, but the beauty industry is a huge, right? Multi-billion, whatever it is, dollar industry, and you're one piece of it and growing. And the clean beauty part within that is growing, but it's still probably a very small slice of the overall puzzle, right? Of the overall pie. Yeah. Um, so it's, I mean, it's an $85 billion industry here in the United States. Clean beauty is outpacing conventional brands by two to three X. We saw significant growth last year and in a year of COVID where nice. most traditional beauty brands saw negative numbers. So we're really grateful that the market is rewarding us for the work that we're doing. Uh, but there, there's still a very long way to go to make clean beauty a reality for everyone. So thinking about, you know, everyone, and we always love to leave our listeners with just some practical tips or strategies that they can implement. 
And maybe that's someone who's already aware of clean beauty and using a few products, or maybe that's someone who this is the first time they're hearing about it, right? What's something they, that someone can do, you know, this week, today to start to pay attention or remove toxins one by one from the products that they're using? The first thing people can do is to ditch their perfumer cologne, which I know a lot of people are very attached to those <laughs> It's a very intimate relationship, but it's actually interesting because perfume is so much less popular than it was even 10 years ago. Um, so I do feel like people are moving away from it as a category in general, but generally speaking, there's very few clean perfume brands. And even those I'm not super thrilled about because people around you can still be impacted and get headaches and stuff from um, those fragrances. So that's the first thing. The second would be focus on products that stay in your body all day. So if you love your shampoo and you go to Skin Deep Database and it has a bunch of toxic ingredients, you can still use your shampoo for now, but focus on your lotion and your makeup and like the things that are staying on your body. I think I, you know, the science shows us that's where you should really kind of focus your energy and resources. Uh, and then also be willing to try out new brands because they're I would like to challenge someone's assumption that, oh, if something is a clean version, it's not going to work as well. That's not true anymore. That for sure was the case 15 years ago. But, you know, Beauty Counter's got great shampoo. It suds really well. We've got um, incredible and anti-aging lines that's super effective and has clinical results. So I would just kind of encourage people to come to that journey with an open mind and start small. I, it's, it took me years to transition my home. I still have plastic in my house. It's safer plastic, but like, just don't get overwhelmed. Yes. And also don't be, don't become a crazy person because you can't control every exposure and that's okay. Like, um, you know, someone was talking to me about pegs the other day and I used the example. I was like, I used a, a drug the other day, a pharmaceutical drug um, that had pegs in it. And that's okay because the big concern with pegs is one, four dioxin contamination it's a limited time exposure, it's fine. But if I can choose to have a skincare product that doesn't have pegs in it every day, I'm going to choose it. So like, just be, just don't get radical about it because it's not realistic for you to control all the exposures in your life, but you can make some meaningful exposures that are going to hopefully yes. um, help address one of those pieces of the pie that we talked about before. Absolutely. And I mean, literally every small step that a person takes is helpful to that bigger picture. So I agree with you wholeheartedly that you, you don't want to get overwhelmed and stressed about it because I mean, if you look around your home, you could kind of freak out, right? There's, there's a lot of plastics and things that, you know, cleaning products and all kinds of things that could potentially um, give you an exposure. So it's taking those baby steps to try and make these small changes that will have more of a lasting impact over time. Yeah. And one thing, just thinking about when the timing of this airs seasonally, you know, sunscreen, and that's been a big, you know, hot topic for, for many years, but can you maybe just explain to someone? And I think too, just understanding, like when you put something on your skin, how that enters your body and the impact, since we were saying that was maybe like the first, one of the first things you should do in this journey and like the ingredients to watch out for. Yeah. So some ingredients in personal care products enter our bloodstream and some do not. So it's kind of important to know that there's some that are actually designed to sit on top of your skin um, that are used in makeup, but 
something like sunscreen is really important to use mineral sunscreens, for example, which sit on top of the skin to help block the sun's rays. Um, so I always say that um, there are two ingredients that are chemical sunscreen ingredients to really avoid. Um, they're kind of a mouthful, but oxybenzone and oxynoxate, which are the two that were banned by the state of Hawaii. There are some safer chemical sunscreens out there, but um, you kind of choose to formulate minerals with minerals only. And um, we use non-nano zinc oxide, so it still meets all the SPF tests, helps protect your skin, also protects the coral reefs, but it's different than a chemical sunscreen that is absorbed by your body. Okay, that was a great, great definition. And I love when you do travel somewhere where they make you put on certain sunscreen, if you wonder, if we're focused on that for the coral reef, which I mean is amazing, we should be focused on that, then shouldn't we just be wearing that, you know, safer sunscreen on our bodies all the time? <laughs> Not just when we're going to be exposing ourselves to these beautiful coral reefs. Yep, exactly. So Lindsay, if people want to dive deeper into these topics and learn more about beauty counter products and maybe learn more about the things that you write about, where, where would you direct them? So check out beautycounter.com. We have a ton of really good resources on the R story page of our website. Our blog is also rich, full of information. Um, I have my personal website, lindsaydahl.com, where I write about a bunch of these topics, including uh, other product sectors outside of beauty, because I've been working on these issues um, for a while. So you can kind of dig through the archives there if you're interested. And um, like I mentioned, check out Environmental Working Group Skin Deep Database. And that should be a good treasure trove of getting you started on a clean living journey. Yeah. And I, I actually saw on your blog, um, you had a discussion about mattresses and different, and different price points too. And my husband had just said to me, I think we need a new mattress. And I've been wanting a new one for various reasons. And so I was like, yes, I'm going to dive in and do some research there. So definitely head on over to her blog and check it out. And we'll link all this up in the show notes. And, uh, and I'll just say, I did a lot of research on mattresses too. And I have the avocado and I love it. I hope, I don't know what you think about the avocado mattress, Lindsay. Yeah. They're amazing. I, I love them. I've never loved my mattress and pillow more in my life. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best pillow ever. <laughs> well, now I don't yeah. have to do the research. So thank you both. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to do the research. <laughs> and the other thing I'd love for you to share and we'll, with our listeners is I know you can text, right? Better Beauty to get your voice heard. Can you tell people about that? Because I think that's a great thing everyone can do in 30 seconds. Yeah. If you pull out your phone and to the number 52886, so just type 52886 into your cell phone. And then in the subject, the body of the text all one word, better beauty. And what will happen is we'll send you a quick link that you can click on and you can fill out the form. It, again, we'll take one second to fill it out. Really. We'll send an email to Congress asking for better beauty laws. And it's a really effective and fast way for you to make sure that your voice is heard and helping fix the problem. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much for this conversation today. It was so informative and I know our listeners are going to take away a lot and have um, a lot of good ideas and ways that they can start to make some changes to their beauty and personal care products. But one final question that we love to ask all of our guests is what does the art of living well mean to you? Well, the answer to this question might surprise you, but just bear with me for a second. So um, my whole thing is about playing the long game. And if you think about the art of living well, I think the, the thing that I channel every single day is a phrase, which I'm like, is it good enough? Is, 
And it's a way for me to combat this concept of perfectionism, which I think is very toxic. So I'm always like, is this email good enough? It's fine. Hit send. Is this work product good enough? It's fine. Am I looking at the meal that I'm feeding my child? Like there's a lot of carbs on there. Is it good enough? It's fine. Like to me, that's my art of living well, uh, because otherwise there's just too much pressure on all of us to be perfect in whatever that is supposed to mean anyway. And so for me, it's a, it's a way to keep my in the prize to say, whether it's a piece of legislation passing or getting a formula to market, like have we, have we moved the needle enough and is it time just to like get things going? And so that to me is just asking myself that question. Is it good enough? Is the art of living well? Yeah, I love that. And I love your like honesty about what you just shared and vulnerability, because I think this can be overwhelming, you know, entering on a journey of making changes and we see what's out there on social media and we get overwhelmed or, and then, and then we become you know, at one end of the spectrum too obsessive about all this. So I think that's great. I love what you just shared. And just the desire to combat perfectionism, yes. which I agree with can be, you know, take a person on a downward spiral. So absolutely. That's yes. wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing all your passion and all the good work that you're doing and beauty counter is doing as a whole. And yeah, we look forward to seeing all the new innovative products that are coming out in the coming months and years. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for hosting this podcast and sharing the good work of um, beauty counter and all the other guests that you have. And um, I hope you both have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you so much. You too. Bye Lindsay. Thank you so much for listening to the art of living well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.